Yeah, Vaughn? to Lacey Underall skinny dipping down the slide which the personal favorite part why did I play that there's actually a reason so in addition to um and we'll and we'll get to it but our I described you as I I, I said in the last episode we were going to be having a guest I said that you're not famous but that you are infamous infamous as they say I think, I think that's, that's spot on. I think that's fair. Now we um we certainly have a lot of Caddyshack connections, and and you know we'll sort of get to that. But here's the reason I played that. Besides the fact that it's amazing, when I started doing this this the research on today's episode, handpicked by our guest, I noticed that one of the keys to the sound was the Wurlitzer piano, right? And I sort of like could hear it and it was like oh it's it's that's the same piano as Ty Webb this is amazing i'm going to tie it all together we're going to we're going to play we're going to play that to enter intro the episode i'm going to say there's a reason we're playing that and it's because that's a big part of the today's episode and you know what as it turns out Chevy's playing a, a, a Fender Rhodes that's not even a Wurlitzer so it kind of ruined the whole thing <laughs> but then i was like you know what I'm just going to play it anyway, because it's probably one of the best scenes in film history while they're sitting there at Briar 2. Um, so listen, multi-purpose for playing that. But 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 part of the reason is today's guest who, you know, there's so many ways to describe him um, beyond just being infamous. You know, he's a good pal. He's a fan of the show. We used to work together. We used to play a little together uh, on the road and such. Which had but, nothing to do with rubbing you first. No. Well, you know, maybe if, if it got cold enough, right? But I would like to welcome uh, a guy. We've been talking for months about doing this. Maybe even like years at this point. I think years is more accurate. Yeah, we've been doing this for a bit. But fellow podcaster who, who operates along with... Uh, his first officer, Drew, the podcast known as uh, Sam and Drew Talk Training, um, a hand-picked album 
where instead of just us doing it, we figured let's just have Sam Fowler join us. And we can do a little cross pod promotion and we can welcome you because you have been a good support. In fact, in one of your recent episodes, you called us out for taking this long break. And rightly so. Well, 100%. You can talk to Nubs about that. 100%. And it actually was a bit of a catalyst, I'll be honest, for I had already been kind of hounding Nubs, but for us to kind of say, you know what? It's time. Let's go. Enough of this hibernation. And we put out an episode uh, already prior to this, our album of the year 2022 review. And now here we are doing your handpicked album, Super Tramps Breakfast in America. And welcome to the show, Sam Fowler. Well, thanks. I got to tell you, as I was uh, getting ready for today and, you know, with all the advance notice on the email to sign in, that was fantastic. I was I told like, you, you weren't going to get that very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was remembering my high school days. It's like I got invited to sit with the cool kids at table at the table. And as you were doing the intro, you know, Nubs was acting just like the cool kids at the high school table and paying no attention to either one of us doing whatever he's doing over there. It's kind of what this is kind of how this works. Now you get the visual of what's really happening here. You and know? you see his mute keeps going on and off. He's trying to decide at what point he wants to drop a bomb on us. <laughs> gonna happen. If I get a word in, I would, boys. Uh, you know, I, the thing is, you know, I've heard, I I know the Caddyshack connection between you two. It's very strong, and I like it. I I just can't get over the fact that my brother thought it was a Wurlitzer. I just, my my nerd instrument nerd brain just can't get over that. So I'm just letting you guys riff. I'll jump in at some point. I, I couldn't get over the fact that both of you nerds knew what kind of piano it was when Lacey Underall was in the scene. That's that's what I can't get over. It says a lot about me that I was looking at the piano. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not good. <laughs> yeah. Not a good sign for my manhood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you'll get nothing and like it. So <laughs> exactly. So here's here's a debate we've had. Is the better scene Carl and Ty in the shed? The, 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 you know, the cannonball and the, and the California sense of me on Kentucky bluegrass. It's a, it's a, it's a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Featherbed blunt. Is it that scene that wins or is it the scene that we just got a piece of where Ty, you know, does the tequila shot sort of sings the song and then does the, the big rub. That's what they call it in the East. Well, I or, mean, and the whole conversation between he and Lacey before the piano, because that's all, also amazing. I think the conversation we're having now and, and you guys both being the parents of multiple children will get this. You're asking me to choose my favorite kid. Yeah. I mean, how can I pick a favorite scene out of Caddyshack? And, you know, the first thing that always comes to me is, uh, Mrs. Gray, you're a monkey woman. You're lean and you're <laughs> mean and you're not so far in between, are you? I bet. <laughs> so that that's kind of the one that sticks out for me. While he's, while he's at the ball washer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Oh, calm yourself. <laughs> How would you like to wrap your spikes around my... I mean, he's just yeah, I, so good. You, you but, should but choosing, started here. We're not even going to get to the album. Yeah, I know. Choosing between those two scenes, though, I I have found even just wrestling with it in my own mind is nearly impossible. Well, I mean, and then you throw in, you know, here's an uncashed check for twenty five thousand dollars. Here's another one. Here's another one. Keep it. It's yours. Yeah. Yeah. And I like keep it. That's a that's a great. Yeah. Keep it. And then what were you hunting? No, dolphin. You know, I mean, just 
It's, a, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, your uncle molests collies, you know? Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> I'm so already down the rabbit hole. Somebody's yeah. nubs, you're going to have to rescue us or this could go on all day. Exactly. I mean, well, and for good reason. I mean, look, we could Caddyshack riff all day, but. Hey, I got I was, an idea. I got a way we can pull out of Caddyshack. Let's go round and round. Sam, why don't you lead the way, buddy? Anything that's been on the uh, on the musical radar or or spinning around, uh, or, or or you know whatever? What medium are you listening to? Me? Are you a streamer? Are you still doing CDs? Like, what's your what's your well, medium? I'm definitely not doing CDs. In fact, I was looking on Amazon today to see if I could f- even find a CD player to play some of these things that I've got. But uh, no, I'm typically on the on the iPhone and playing apple music so mm-hmm. and i'm a little worried i'm going to get kicked out of the cool kids table because one of my albums for round and round is actually a compilation so hopefully the judges won't throw me out from the beginning you know my first one is it depends uh, on what it is but i think you're safe uh, okay well, i think it's a pretty good one but my first album would be uh john mayer where the light is so it's a live album and he goes through all three iterations he does does a solo thing. Then he does the trio, which is amazing. And my daughter and I just love John Mayer and she loves Pino Palladino. She, uh, she just loves saying that name out loud as bass player. And okay. Now I've perked up Pino Palladino. Yeah. Right. One of the best bassists ever. I mean, that guy is great. And, Nubs, welcome uh, to the welcome to the podcast. <laughs> well, like like he said, uh, it's probably going to be tough for him to get a word in edgewise. So I think that was that was well played. So that's first. And then, you know, as we were talking uh, when we were doing ours and we were talking about the Speedwagon and High Infidelity has been on my playlist. I just love that album. That was when I was in high school and that was great. I saw them on the High Infidelity tour at Chrysler from behind the stage because I didn't get my ass up in time to get tickets. And then the compilation is uh, Stevie Wonder, number ones. And Superstition with that guitar riff when it comes in, that just, every time I hear that, it makes me go crazy. Nothing wrong with that. I'd say we're good with Stevie. Judges? We accept. (laughs) Compilations, you know, hard to say whether that's uh, an album or not, but uh, Sam, for you, we accept. I appreciate that. Thanks. (laughs) Nubs, what do you got? I'd like to shout out the uh, some of the people I work with. We have a new system at work where we uh, we have a rotation where we choose an album and that person's choice gets played and we all listen to it while we work in our little uh, creative hub that we have. And it's been very cool because I get to impart my bad taste on uh, two very unassuming young ladies who must think, what the hell is he choosing all the time? And I get to be brought in on their taste a little bit as well. So I want to shout out Carly and Sam, uh, these two ladies that I work with and who it's so much fun to do this little routine with every day. Are they and the I, reason you're into Harry Styles suddenly? Is that, is that who I blame for this? You're or? about to find out. Oh, so oh my Lord. My first choice is going to be Harry Styles, Harry's house, which was chosen by Carly, who I work with, who loves Harry Styles. And now I too love Harry Styles, although I kind of did before. Wasn't no Harry good, Styles such a, fun a, record. a One Direction boy? He was. Yeah, but he, you know, you guys are going to laugh at me for saying this, but he really left like the boy band sound behind. Now oh, he's more of kind of a funk artist, like really good, really, really good. And my that, lovely darling Emily was a huge One Direction fan, and she proclaimed to me one day that they would be bigger than the Beatles. 
I still haven't stopped <laughs> laughing. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, we've in the last episode, Nubs introduced a song towards the end, this the, the sushi restaurant song. Yeah. So music know, from a sushi restaurant. For those who haven't tuned in yet to episode uh, 82, you can get a little sampling and you can get some of Nubs' thoughts on that track. Yeah. It's so good. And the album's so fun. It's that's been a fun one to hear. Shout out to Sam, who I can't live without at work. And uh, she manages basically my entire uh, existent, existence at work. She's the best assistant ever. And she is very into these next two artists. The first one, Sam Fowser, amazingly enough, John Mayer was nice. a choice. Heavier Things, oh. we listened to last week. Really, really good record. Um, so that's kind of reestablished my, you know, kind of John Mayer interest. I do agree the trio is his best era, but this was right around then. So Heavier Things, very cool album. And it's really going to piss off my brother. Taylor Swift with Midnight's. Wow. You know what? I almost wow. went Swifty on you too, because uh, I mean, her song is kind of her. It's adolescent at best, but she's talented. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> so we also, we also covered this in episode 81. Um, <laughs> we did. Much to the pretty, chagrin of one T. Well, really in the same, um, you know, sentence uh, of the uh, Harry Styles thing. And listen, I never thought when we started this back in 2020, 2020, that I would get a round and round from nubs that listed the following, uh, Harry Styles, John Mayer, and Taylor Swift. So, yeah, that's that's not on brand. God help <laughs> it's us all. Definitely not on brand. I, must, I might need some brand management, T. I might need to... Uh, Call the brand manager from the recent South Park episode. Did you see it? Did you see it? I watched it last night. Incredible. Isn't it good? You were so right, dude. You were so right. Sam, I don't know if you're a South Park fan, but they did a they did an episode just hammering um Prince Harry and Megan, whatever that her name is. Um, and it's just perfect. I mean, they just they just grill these two in in the in the most South Park of ways. And uh it's even if you don't like the show that much, it's worth the watch. Yeah, I'll check it out. It's one of those like perfect South Parks. They every minute of it is them nailing it. And you're right, they just completely destroy the whole idea of all the hypocrisy behind Prince Harry and his book and all that. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's so yeah. good. T, tell us what's running around for you, man. All right. I got um actually this is uh this is an 80s like I don't know. They weren't really a one hit wonder. Many people probably think they are, but the band is called breathe and they did the song called hands to heaven, which is tonight. I need just sweet caress. Hold me in the darkness tonight. You know what I'm saying? You know that one? Hands you going to be okay, buddy. And uh, I love that song. It's I got it's that so like on good. my main mix, and every time it comes on, I'm like, I'm not changing this today. So dude, just... so dude, listen the the album, the Breathe album is great. I've got it. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's really yeah. smooth. You know, it's like it's, it's very it's very very slick. Yeah, very slick. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, they they um they had uh, another hit with uh, How Can I Fall, which is another like legit hit. And then they had a song called Don't Tell Me Lies. Uh, so, I mean, it's 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 actually like you you definitely recognize three or four cuts off this thing, but it's called All That Jazz. Pretty sure it was the only thing they ever did. But uh, 
you know, it's always nice to take a a group that had like a hit, like seen as one hit wonder and check out their album to see if it's any good. And it was actually really good. Listen, I, I have gotten into a little bit of a rabbit hole with a certain artist. See if you guys can maybe guess it. 70s. AOR. It's a guy's name, not a band. Laid back. Yeah, kind of yacht rocky, almost full. It's a guy's name. The band name is a guy's name, or it's just an artist. It's an artist. Oh, oh, like a singer-songwriter? Yeah. Um Jay Ferguson. No. More more famous than that. Not really Boss Gags. No, more a little more stripped down folky than Boss Gags. But still yacht rock? Yeah. Okay, yeah. one more hint. One more hint. I'll just tell you. Dan Folgerberg. Oh, Dan Folgerberg. <laughs> Dude, that's nice. solid. I like I didn't really understand the whole Dan Fogelberg thing. I kind of just thought he was like a, one of those wimpy singer songwriter, you know, seventies AOR guys, which is all sort of still true, but he's, he's put out some really good stuff. And, and again, like full albums, you know, early on that kind of would rock out here and there. And his, his record innocent age is, is a classic. And, uh, and I, I, find I myself, love that double album. It's, it's so mm-hmm. good. So epic. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's really, really, it's his best for sure. Totally, man. So, so I kind of got, get gotten into Fogelberg a little bit here lately. You know, that's, there's nothing to be ashamed about there. All right. Well, that's good. I was a little, you know, I was a little hesitant, but I mean, it's not like you jumped on both of us for Taylor Swift, but, um, well, at least Dan Fogelberg plays instruments, right? So that's the, the main difference between the two. She oh, fake plays a guitar sometimes. Fake, yeah, ish. I've yeah. seen her fake play a piano too. I think. Yeah, I think she fake plays piano. <laughs> <laughs> I think she fakes a lot of things. That let that woman. But that's a separate conversation. Um, my third choice is uh, M eighty three. This is "Hurry Up, We're Dreaming," which contains the blistering "Midnight City," one of the best, probably a top ten song for me all time, maybe fifteen. So. Uh, kind of getting into that. They have a new record coming out in the next couple months. So that is what is round and round for me. You know, I think um, before we even get into it, I mean, Sam, you you claim to be a fan, you know, uh, uh, of the podcast. Is that correct? I mean, you so you claim that you um, are a fan? I have made that claim, yes. Yeah. Well, guess what, buddy? Uh, here comes a game, I think, yeah. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Huh? I'm ready. And now, please welcome our special guest, Sam Fowser, who has apparently, allegedly claimed to be a fan of the show. To the newest game show that everybody's talking about. It's all a buzz. The ratings are beyond belief, and that show is called. I actually don't even have any. How big of a fan are you? I don't know. There it is. How big of a fan are you? Well, I, I'm a big enough fan to know that if we're playing a game, I have to have my hands where you can see them. Absolutely. Yes. Let's see them. Sam, you'll get criticized for cheating. How on earth would you cheat during one of these games? I mean, come right? on. Right. All right, you already get a bonus point for knowing the hands up thing. Yeah, I'd right. say he wins just based on that. Maybe, Done. maybe, maybe winner. All right. Give him the belt. All right, buddy. Ten questions, two twins in an album trivia. We've never done this before. 
I'm going to set right. the over under at five and a half. So you'd be pleased with a six? Is that what I'm hearing? I would be ecstatic. Okay. I think I'd be pleased if you got one. I'm already pleased. That you just knew the hands up thing, but all right. So here we go. Ten questions. Are you ready? I I was Nub, born for this. Nubs, I have to read the question, so you need to make sure he's not cheating. See, unlike you, I trust Sam. I don't. I you're never have. Cheat? I never will. Where would he look these up? Like two twins in an album's website? I mean, you know, are, ma- oh. are many blogs that are out there about us? You know what movie this is from? Most of all, I just don't trust you. I don't? No. Ocean's 11. Okay. Nice. Are you ready, Sam Fowler? Question one. I am ready. Episode one of Two Twins in an Album dropped on July 1st, 2020. What album did the boys cover? Oh, I believe it was a Seattle grunge band, but I don't remember the album. And I do have the Google up, but I'm not going to cheat. Is that your final answer? It's my final answer. I mean, does he get half a point? Do we do half? If we're if we're gonna do half credit, I would say forget the just points. A, that answer was impressive. Guess. It was just impressive. Take a guess. Just just take a stab at it. Seattle band. I think it was Nirvana. But and, what al- sh- and what album? Oh no, I, that's okay. Not you know what? You get it right. You got Nirvana. <laughs> we're gonna give him that. Yeah, we're giving it to you. That was in in utero by Nirvana. Close enough. There you go. I was never a Nirvana fan when they were big. Well, can't always blame you for that. That makes three of us. Kurt Cobain was pretty <laughs> annoying. Yeah, that's actually true. And now I even just sort of like him, you know. All right. You're, hey, you're one for one. Should we stop? I, well, I mean, 100 percent is pretty good. <laughs> All right. But it is shy of six. So, well, question two. Here we go. Name all of the regular segments in each Two Twins and Album episode in order, as well as what we play and or reference for each. Oh, my God. Seriously? This is like six questions in one. Wow. Uh, Well, of course, round and round, because we just did it. Correct. And then I believe uh, uh, there's Wonder Stories. Correct. It's not in order, but that's okay. Keep going. Oh, it's not. And then that's okay. Dr- Keep going. Forget it. And then you, you drop the needle on the record. Correct. And then uh, we hear what's in your head. Correct. And then finally the final cut. First of all, it's amazing. Second of all, you're only missing one. Shit. Again, I still would give him the point. <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> getting the one. He's was getting the point. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, what am I missing? I'll give you a hint. It's early It's early on in the episode when we kind of give the skinny on the album. Oh, oh, oh. It's um, Dirty Deets. You got it, Nerdy Deets. Nerdy Deets. Yes, by ACDC. Yep. You so want some Dirty Deeds? <laughs> so Round and Round is the rat song. Nerdy Deets is Brian Johnson. Wonder Stories. Do you know what song that is? Or who does that song that we play? <sighs> 
It's one of Nubs' favorite bands. I know. Uh, isn't it? Um, uh, oh, my goodness gracious. You got this. You got this. I know the song, but no, I'm drawing a blank. It's a yes song. And then the final cut, you know what that's a oh, reference to? So disappointed in myself. You're doing, uh, that, You're doing final, amazing. The final cut is um, uh, uh, the Spinal pink, Tap thing. It's a, pink, it? it's a Pink Floyd reference. It's their last album. Okay. And then in your head, of course, is, is uh, Dolores or Reardon. Yeah. Yeah, and and you hitting the button seventeen times depending on your mood. <laughs> Sam, you are two for two. This I is think hitting the button seventeen times is another bonus point. Sam's gonna I, end up with five hundred points by the time this game's over. I'm about to cry. This is this is this is getting emotional now. All right, you ready? I I'm ready. Question three. What is the band? that causes the most polarizing opinion between the two brothers and was featured in episode 66. Nickelback. Polarizing? Do we disagree on Nickelback? I thought you did. I thought Nubs liked Nickelback and you do not. Hmm. Is that your final answer? That's going to be my final answer. I'm I'm going to say it's wrong by the way you're leading me to somewhere else. <laughs> Uh, so we but, we actually quite agree on Nickelback. This is Pearl Jam. Right. Uh, we often talk. I'm really disappointed in myself because I now that you say that, yes, I, rem- I recall we, that. We often talk at length about how annoying and irritating I think Pearl Jam is and how much Nubs thinks they're amazing. Okay. Hey, you're still, you're two for three. You're kicking yeah. ass. And bonus points, according to Nubs. Yeah, so. Lots of bonus points. Question four. The boys, in, in addition to Sam Fowser, the boys have had seven guests on the podcast. Name two of them. Uh, Rupert. Rupert Holmes is correct. Which was an amazing guest. And that's all I got for you because they were from bands that I didn't know. But I know they were amazing guests. Nubs, can you name the remaining six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I say I get the point if he can't. All the yeah. guests that we've had? Yeah. Besides Rupert. And Sam Fowser. Rupert, Jim Ward from Sparta. Yep. Mick Box from Uri Heap. Yep. Um, your boyfriend from Humphreys McGee, Brandon Bayless. Right. Yeah. That, your boyfriend. Yeah, there was some man love going on oh, in that shit. one. It's Big still time. oozing through his microphone. Yeah. Um, how many is that? Did we get them all? You get three. You oh, three uh, Eddie the King Roser from uh, Urge Overkill. Yep. Oh, you had another guest that wasn't an artist. It was like a friend or Bill a Keith friend of the show. Bill Keith, there you go. There you go. Nice. And uh, that's all. that's actually the one I thought Fowler might get uh, the eighty-eight point one guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I remember was, the episode. I just didn't remember his name. And then who was the other guy? Nub. That's all of them, isn't it? Did you say the last one after Bill Keith? I I I named a bunch. Eddie the King. Mick Box, Brendan I Bayless. Only, I think you're only missing one, and this Jim is somebody Ward. that you that you set up. Think uh, '90s abrasive rock. Oh, oh, oh! Handsome, Peter. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. You guys have had some rock solid guests. 
Well, We've thanks. done well with guests. I think my I think my favorite overall was Mick Box. He was just so fun and entertaining, and he was great. Listen, I think they've all been great. I mean, they none of them sound like oh yeah, I got to do this thing. They all sounded like they were happy to be there. Yeah, it seemed that way. Like nobody, it was not, not like a wood chop for any of them. And I yeah. think you know, you and I talked about a little bit on on your podcast, um, on my pod, on your your pod, right? Where Rupert, when he learned that we actually wanted to talk about the Adventure album and and not talk Pina Coladas, and I mean, he just, I think he instantly was like, "All right, these guys are actually interested in my work." You know, I th- I think that's the show that hooked me. Really? Yeah. I mean, because that was very entertaining to listen to. Yeah, and the and part one is just kind of bullshit and fun, and then part two we dig into the album. I mean, yeah, that was that was a great one. I told you earlier that the raw on that he spent over three hours with us. Yeah, I mean, that was just awesome. All right, <clears throat> question five: What famous? Oh, here we go. Pop stars. What famous pop star did Tof hug? In 1996, whose band opened for 311 in Pontiac? I got nothing. And I'm, just I'm, in case the Rhodes piano thing is still lingering, I hugged her too. <laughs> after I did. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It's just after, okay. It. I hugged her, and then every other freaking guy, you know, within a mile radius also decided to get You were the, the originator. I, you were the originator. I, I, I broke it. I broke it. You broke the seal. All right, it was Gwen Stefani. No doubt was opening. For oh man! Before she was famous, she was hanging out over by the merchandise, and I went over and I said, "I think your band's going to be huge. Can I give you a hug?" She said yes, and I I should have never let go. You know? Yeah, because then you would have had to fight with Blake. Yeah, and and Gavin. I, I yeah, I would have beat him. I beat yeah, him. sure. I see that. No question. All right. Next question. Who did Toph get up on stage with and play a Van Halen cover in Westland, Michigan, the band that was featured on episode 15? No, I got nothing. I'm I'm just going to throw in the towel on that one. I remember the story, but again, names. Listen, when you boys get as old as I am, you'll start forgetting stuff, too. While you're on fire, the wheels are falling off a little bit here. But hey, that was that was Winger. Okay, that was Winger. Winger. That was Winger playing a Van Halen song. Uh, A Van Halen song or a Van Hagar song? Because we will be on opposite sides of that debate. Yeah, it was actually on on your side. It was ain't talking about love. So it was a nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And just for the record, I think which side of the argument you're on there depends on your age. It probably does. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you were, I think both of you made during the 1984 thing, then probably you're leaning towards that. But we, you know, we were teenagers during OU812 and unlawful carnal knowledge and all that stuff. So, well, well, and I think your arguments are solid. I think the musically they were better as Van Hagar. Yeah. But Van Halen was a force to be reckoned with when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm sure you were too. Sam Fowler himself, a force to be <laughs> Over at old, De- was it Dexter High? Heck yeah. Yeah, baby. Dreadnoughts, baby. <laughs> All right, here we go. Time to get back on track. Here we go. We need we need momentum back on your side. Where did Nubs work in high school? 
referenced several times. I'll give you a hint. It's a record. It's the record shop. But I'm... notably, the in-store appearance from ICP that he was in charge of. Right, which he was afraid to talk to them or something. He was in the tent with them all night and then finally said something at the end or something. I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, the, there was some line. What was the line that the that, that Shaggy 2 Dope had, Nubs, that, that he... It was Jay. It was Violet Jay. Jay. And I, I wasn't afraid to talk to him. I had to. I listened to them all night, do their banter with people for an entire night, eight hours. Finally, what walked was in that one line he said to the guy getting an autograph? Well, I was getting you your autograph. I said, "Can you can you make this out to Chris?" And yeah. um, Violet <laughs> Jay goes, "Hey, I once knew a girl named Chris. You know what I did? I fucked her." Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, apparently he was made to rub you first. (laughs) I was like, what Uh, planet did I just land on? Yeah, that's great. Okay, what was the record star? Uh, I I don't know. Obviously, isn't open anymore. But you boys spent a lot of time there. You've referenced that record store numerous times. So the one we used to shop at all the time was Repeat the Beat in Plymouth. But Nubs actually worked at Blockbuster Music. In um, what was that in Livonia? No, well, no. The, the in store was at Rock of Ages. Oh, that was at Rock of Ages. Yeah. Uh, okay. They so would, ICP um, would have never come to Blockbuster. But you did. But I but did, you work, did work. Okay. I did. I worked up. Well, we would so, have taken. We would have taken either answer. We would. So my, so my coach is throwing the challenge flag, and he says, <laughs> "If the host of the game doesn't know the right answer, how can the player?" <laughs> All right. Cool, cool. Fine. We'll throw that one out. But okay. So Rock of Ages in Ann Arbor or Blockbuster Music in Northville? Is that right? <laughs> Rock of Ages in Garden City. Blockbuster Music oh. was in Westland. Wow, oh, I was way off. Okay. But it's okay. I mean, you can't. all right, here we go. The boys have done two soundtracks and one single song as episodes. What are they? Well, the single song is uh, We Are the World. That's that, correct. That was recent. And that was that was a great episode, by the way. The, I don't know where you get your information, but that was amazing. Um, a lot of where he got his information. He watched the documentary at least fifty times. It appears because yeah, yeah. There you go. He was very prepared for that episode. He was, very. and uh, there was some interesting stuff. And I especially well, like that was like, during one of our famous uh, uh, breaks. You know, uh, so I had plenty of time. You know, while we were not recording an episode to research the next one. You know. Yeah, I like the part about uh, Ray Charles did his piece when nobody else was there. And every yeah. time I've heard the song since, which has been a ton, um, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's nobody else. Yeah, it's totally so, patched in. In, in yeah. fact, it's not even on time. Like it's he, he was literally just just freelancing and then they dropped it into the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The compilations, I got nothing. The soundtracks? Nothing. Can't name one? Nope. Hey, talk to me when you're 58, young man. You'll forget too. Sam, you look a day over 35, by the way. You look fantastic. Hey, I appreciate that. The check's in the mail. Okay, well, one of them was This is Spinal Tap. Oh, right, 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 right. You know, I watched that movie after that episode dropped for the first time ever. Oh, really? Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? uh, I was watching it with my wife and my kid, um... Oh, so we had to we had to tap out pretty quick. They're not going to get it. But I'm going to go back and watch it because, yeah, it was up my alley. 
I don't think I've ever met a female that has liked this as Spinal Tap. Maybe, well, maybe a couple, actually. I think I've only met one female that liked me, so um, I married her. <laughs> yeah, you got lucky. The other was the Top Gun soundtrack. Nubs took us through the Oh, top. yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that, and you played a game um, during that one. And uh, I was yelling at the episode because you guys didn't know it was a 1985 KZ900. Oh, yeah, right. Maverick's Mavericks motorcycle. Yeah, I'm like, come on, it's KZ900. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It was yeah. like the first big block ninja. <laughs> yeah, that was a good question. Nub, Nubs put that game together. You know, Nubs actually put some work into that one, you know. Well, he probably knew the right answers to the questions he asked. I didn't, for sure. I, I remember getting that one wrong. All right. Which band featured on episode 81 was playing when Toft ditched not when Toft ditched Nubs and their mom, eventually getting lost and having his name announced on the main stage as a missing child at Woodstock 94? Which band was playing? Right. That was a great story, by the way. And that was so you. I mean, <laughs> that story was so on brand for you. It's like, Such an yeah, idiot. Nubs and Mom were putting the tent up, and I left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, such a jerk. Like, and, such and a jerk. Sam, there was no embellishment to that story. That's literally how it went down. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we're like I, sweating profusely in the August New York heat, and we turn around doing all the work, and he's just gone. gone. He's just gone. Yeah, he's he's just gone. So I I think I get the point because obviously I heard the episode and I remember, but the band no, I got nothing. I thought it'd be like Pine Knob, like they they'll find me. You know? Yeah, I, I forgot yeah. that there are like forty four hundred thousand people there. You know, or, or didn't know, or yeah. more likely didn't care. Didn't care. Yeah, a jerk. Okay, that was the band Live, where we uh, and we highlighted throwing copper in episode eighty one, which was our last like regular album episode. All right. I, I don't think you need to tabulate the score. We'll just we'll just say I won. You got two more. Oh, okay. All right. The boys have done three two-part episodes for double LPs. Name two of them. Uh, I believe Tusk was one. Tusk is one, correct? And uh I mean, Rupert was a double show, but that yeah. wasn't a double album. Correct. There was one album that I remember in the final cut, you both agreed that it would have been a great single album. And it just it just went on and on and on and on. But I don't recall what album it was. It's actually the it's actually the album that sort of created the phrase double album syndrome. Yeah, no help. What is like the most famous double album of all time, would you say? Rock and roll history. But not the most exciting album ever. By the most famous band in rock and roll history. The most famous band. Wow, that's 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 a tough question. I mean, that's debate worthy. That's like saying who's the best basketball player ever. Sam, let's just say it is a very boring plain cover. Aerosmith. 
If you uh-huh. took a survey and said, "Uncovered," the best oh, the plane. Oh, I can see the album, but I don't know. I'm if sorry, guys. If you took a survey and said, "Who's the best band of all time?" No, not oh. airplane, Sam. Plane, like plane. Yeah, basic, like plane. P L A I N. The Beatles' White Album. Yeah, there you go. All right, thanks. I appreciate. You're welcome. <laughs> Got it. Nubs is there going. <laughs> hey, dummy. You're calling an a album cover with a plane, though. That's pretty damn good. Aerosmith. I'll take the uh, head of Alfredo Garcia and the Beatles' White Album, please. What are What are some other album covers with planes on them? I know Beastie Boys licensed Beastie Boys. to Hill. Yeah, that has a plane on it. Uh, the one we're doing today is taken from out of a plane. That's true. That's true. Which, by the way, I didn't realize till I was about forty. <laughs> All right. Well, you got you sort of got to the other one was. It's sort of a, I think it counts as a double album, is uh, Guns N' Roses User Illusion 1 and 2. Got it. All right, last question. Which artist that we covered on the podcast did Tov do a cover song of, which he posted on the podcast site? And this artist was featured in episode 75. In the spirit of time, I have no idea. Mm. That was a cover of On My Way Home by Enya. And a solid cover, I'm sure. When we did the Shepherd Moons episode about Enya. Okay. That's a brilliant cover. Kind of is. You, <laughs> yeah, thanks. You win. I don't even know the score. Doesn't matter. No, I appreciate but, uh, that. Listen, you. I am no longer skeptical of your, uh, you know, your your two twins and album knowledge. So well done. What do you say we uh, get into those nerdy deets and let's let's dig up uh, let's dig up this album that that uh, Mr. Fowser has uh, requested and see if we can uh, make sense of it. Let's do the nerdy deets. You want some nerdy deets? Yeah. You want some nerdy deets? Alrighty then. Uh, Breakfast in America was released on March 29th, 1979. Sam, how old were you? I was 14. And we were negative 11 months. Oh, so it was close to when you were trying to kill your brother. Hatched, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, thanks for having the correct perspective on that incident, because that's exactly how I see it as well. Stealing all my blood. I was hungry. <laughs> just like leaving the tent at Woodstock, you know? Yeah, right. It's all about I, him. It's all I, about him. I, I am a jerk. I, I've never denied this. Um, it is the it is Super Tramp's sixth studio album uh on AM Records. The producer of the record is Peter Henderson. He has kind of an interesting line of credits. He he produced the live album that followed this, which is called Paris, which is actually very good. And if you go on YouTube and you you search, I think there's actual footage of this Paris performance by Supertramp. That is a really fantastic cool. live record. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. They actually just remastered all of the um, the footage from that, and you can mm-hmm. download it from, from Apple iTunes. Oh, nice. It, it's a really cool performance. I mean, you, you definitely make a lot more sense of this band when you see how they do this live, right? They definitely look 70s, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they look extremely 70s. 
Um, so this is this is Peter Henderson. So he 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 did the the live album that followed this. He also notably was lead producer on Grace Under Pressure by Rush. So Red Sector A is on that, one of my favorite Rush songs. Nubs, isn't Between the Wheels one of your favorite Rush tunes? A uh, distant early warning is, and that's the opening track on that on that yeah. album. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so, you know, this guy knew what he was doing, but then after those, after these two records, which obviously, you know, did fairly well commercially, he basically got production credit for a bunch of compilations. So, you know, Peter Henderson, Sam would have been perfectly fine with you submitting a, uh, you know, a compilation for your, uh, round and round. <laughs> this is apparently how he made a living. It's, it looks like he produced a blockbuster record, then did one with Rush. And then sort of was able to um, spend the rest of his production career assembling or or remastering or whatever it is, a bunch of compilations. So there you go. Not a bad way to make a living. Uh, this won two Grammys, uh, the aforementioned uh, album cover, which is kind of a classic. It won the Grammy for Best Album Package, and it also won for Best Engineered Non-Classical Recording. It was nominated for Album of the Year. It did not win, but... Clearly, this had a lot of accolades commercially. This sold, this has sold to date well over 20 million worldwide, quadruple platinum in the US, number one in many countries, and and spent six weeks atop the uh, billboard charts in the US. So, I mean, this thing clearly commercially did did fairly well. Um, They were going to do a concept album, uh, sort of about their, and we'll talk about the two guys a little bit, but their dynamic as, as partners. And have the songs be sort of like a conversation talking at each other. And then they kind of scrapped it as a concept and decided, let's just do an album of a bunch of fun songs, as they put it. So probably a good business decision, I would say, by the band to uh, to instead of doing the uh, concept album about themselves to go with a, a fun album, as they put it, this, you know. It turned out pretty good for him. Uh, Crime of the Century was a previous album released uh, five years earlier. And not, I mean, Sam, I don't know if you'll get your thoughts on this too, but Nubs, this one probably is more talked about in Prague circles as one that was a little bit more experimental. This is, this has like school and bloody well, right. And dream army. It's a fantastic album. Most fans and most uh, music appreciators would probably say that crime of the century was their best work very critically acclaimed um but obviously breakfast in america is the one that you know they're known for and and sold the most copies yeah i think you nailed Um, it It, it's crime of century is definitely my favorite super tramp album it is their most proggy breakfast in america took them to the stratosphere so it's their most you know it's their most commercial but as we'll get into it's not the most commercial album ever which makes it really, really cool that it was that popular. But Crime of the Century is definitely a favorite. If for any other reason, that title track is just incredible closer. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, Sam, I, I think it's a great call to do this record because it's a band that certainly I misunderstood. I mean, this has been really cool for me because I, <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, we'll get to it in Wonder Stories, but I always sort of got Super Tramp and Lover Boy mixed up. Oh gosh, say it's not so. <laughs> like, like I, I kind of would be like, oh, Super Tramp, don't they do working for the weekend? You know, um, it's like a big mix-up, man. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Wow. Um, now that's just mostly based on band name, but 
you know, it's definitely helped center me, not only that these guys aren't lover boy, but that the approach and the musicality of these guys was super interesting. I mean, they're a very interesting band. The way they collaborate, and we'll talk about Rick and Roger here in a minute, but the way they collaborated on this album was very um, Lennon-McCartney-esque. They both sort of created these songs and composed these songs on their own and then kind of brought them to each other for some pointers or some sort of tweaks. While it's credited to the two guys, this was really an approach of, for the most part, they sing lead on the song that they wrote. And they both contributed heavily towards composition, but really in a separate manner. So it's a very interesting band in that way. Uh, almost the duo, I guess you could refer to them. And who are these two guys? Uh, this is um, Rick Davies, as well as, uh, probably going to butcher his last name. How do you say his last name? Hodgson. Hog- Hodgson? Hodgson. Thank you, Roger Hodgson. And a couple of British dudes. And the first thing, you know, it really is kind of a two-man operation, even though they had, they had some great band members, certainly. But I wanted to figure out who's the guy who sings, who does that. And I spent a long time trying to figure out who's that voice. And it's actually both of them. You know, they both do the falsetto thing, which makes it more confusing. But once you get it down, you can figure out who's who. Rick Rick has a little bit more of a gravelly um almost like a spoken sounding voice, more straightforward. He does the verses on goodbye stranger. That's one of his songs. So that's the best way to differentiate his voice. Roger, who plays guitar in addition to keyboards and stuff has a bit of a higher voice, a little chipper, a little more poppy, a little cheekier sound to his voice. So once you get it down, you can tell who's who, but when they're doing the falsetto, they sound almost exactly the same. So it's very interesting their uh, their vocal approach. The gauge I always use is take the long way home, Roger. If you learn that, then you can more easily tell them apart. I just listened to the record and liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes you like 99% of, yeah. of music fans. Which, we're the idiots that yeah. read into everything so much. It means you don't have mental problems like we do. You know. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you put in the like we do, because the first part of that statement was not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, once you sort of figure out what's going on here, it's very, very interesting. The instrumentation, the vocal approach, the songwriting approach, you know, very, very uh, unique couple of guys here. It's a it's a band that had already been not only around for a while breakfast, uh, prior to Breakfast in America, but had also been quite successful and been quite critically acclaimed. And then they decided almost intentionally, it sounds like, to sort of go in this um, more commercial direction. So what I want to hear, especially from our guest, but also from you, Nubs, because you and I haven't really talked about Supertramp a lot, you know? Uh, why don't we get to the uh, wonder stories and and Sam, maybe you can take us through why you thought this would be a good fit for the episode besides just listening to it and like it, which you, which you just mentioned, you know, was there anything deeper than that? Was there anything further than that? Or does this take you back to those days at Dexter high? Well, let's, let's get, let's get a download from you on, on your selection and nubs. I'm also interested in your thoughts on this band as well. Let's get to the wonder stories. (laughs) 
Sam, why don't you take it away as a, uh, what'd you say? You were 15 when this, when this came out, just, yeah, a young, just a young upstart. Yeah, I was 15 and my wonder stories aren't going to be nearly as cool as your guys's wonder stories because, you know, you had the cool mom that took you to all the concerts and, uh, mine is just me and my neighbor, Pat Haney. We, uh, we play pool in his basement and his dad was pretty cool. And he had a stereo with speakers down in the basement and we'd throw three or four albums on the turntable and super tramp was always on there. So, you know, it, for me, the music that I really, really like, I mean, you guys dive into the musicianship and all this stuff, but music that takes me back to my youth is stuff that, that just makes me crazy. So when I listen to super tramp, from top to bottom. I know every song because I listened to it so many times. I mean, this was back before you put together playlists. You know, if you were lucky, you had a cassette recorder and you'd make a 90 minute mixtape that took you four days to make. <laughs> you know, these, these kids have no idea how easy they have it today. I used to have to <laughs> walk six miles uphill both ways to make a mixtape. So, you know, Super Tramp was always on there and we'd, we'd listen to Side A and and, you know, Boston was in there and Ario Speedwagon. You can tune a piano, you can't tune a fish. But Super Tramp was always in the mix. And every time I hear it, it just it just takes me back to those days where, you know, I didn't have any bills to pay. And that was a wonderful time. Yeah, that wasn't bad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We always joke about like when 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 we used to think we were busy. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We were so we were so freaking busy, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that's that's the key to my wonder story. It takes me back to my good friend from high school and playing pool in his basement and um Super Tramp was just always one of the choices on the on the turntable because it was super hot when when it came out. I mean, everybody had it. Yeah. On cool. on LPs back before they were retro. Yeah. Yeah, now they're cool. Now they're cool again. Yeah, right? Even for those guys who got rid of all theirs, you know. Uh-huh. I do think this is a record that sounds really good on CD, though. And it might be sacrilege, but with all the different layers and elements going on, it I think it's a pretty good CD album. I don't know, Nubs. What are have you seen this band, Nubs? Well, no, because they've been broken up for a long time. Um, well, only but, like five years. They reunited and stuff, and then like they officially called it quits like five years ago. I think they came here though. I don't remember like Maybe that they tour. Yeah. By the way, I have it on CD, Jap- Japanese import only. Oh, you got the Obi strip. And I have it on vinyl, Japanese import. Oh, another Obi strip. Double Obi strip. I will say this is the only record I own in my collection where I actually have the Japan CD on SHM and the Japan vinyl pressing. Wow. Yeah. So, so here's a question, Nubs. How many albums do you have? You're about to oh. piss off my brother big oh, time. Boy. Here we go. Because he, he hates hearing me talk about music format. How many... Um, Thousands and thousands. I would say I hate it. It's just it's more about the music than the vehicle. But go ahead. Yeah, of course it is. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands. I I don't. I'd have to count them all. But it's several thousand. It's an entire room in my basement. CDs all on the wall, and then I have those giant crates that they have at like record shops. Yeah, yeah. All full of vinyl. I got you know box sets and. Nice. It's super, do, as much as I make fun of him, it's super cool. I mean, it's oh, awesome, yeah. like it's an awesome listening room. It's really cool. Well, you know, That's, as I was looking for Breakfast in America today, I went through my box of albums. I've probably got a hundred. And yeah, it is cool. I'll shoot a little video uh, for you, Sam. A little video tour. I'll send it to you, buddy. Oh, there you go. I love yeah. it. So pre- my Breakfast in America story, at least my Super Tramp story, goes back to our mom, who Sam already mentioned. You know, thank you for mentioning her. And her um, 
Her favorite kid of the three of us has always been our older brother, Scotty B. No contest. It's not even close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but you're not bitter. For it. No, no, not at all. It's just that we've accepted. We accepted it long ago. And she denies it, which is the funniest part. It is know? funny. It's ridiculous. But well, you she, both have you both have children. You have to deny it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have I don't a know. favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a favorite. Um, oh, you do. It just but, depends on when you'll finally admit it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the story that she would incessantly tell about my older brother is that he would sit and in his car seat and say that he wants to hear the Take the Long Way Home song. And then nice. she'd imitate him moving his head back and forth. And I was always like, God, she tells this story to anyone who will listen. But it did get me thinking, what is this Take the Long Way Home song? And it turns out it's Super Tramp of this album, of course. And so I didn't like the song for a long time. And then later in life, when I got more into this band and Crime of the Century and some of their other work, then I was like, ooh, that song is actually pretty cool. So uh, that kind of got me into Super Tramp. They played them a lot on classic rock radio here in Detroit, 94.7. Logical Song and, and Goodbye Stranger and Breakfast in America were regular tunes and Take the Long Way Home, of course. Proggy enough to keep me interested, poppy enough to to kind of be able to play it uh, in your car if someone else is in the car and not have them hate it too much. So not a top tier band for me, but a band that I certainly, certainly respect and like. And no, I've never seen them and always would have liked to. My closest was Roger Hodg Hodgson played in um, Ringo Starr's All-Star Band one tour. And I didn't go. I should have. I would have liked to. It was a great lineup. But yeah, T, that's my super tramp wonder story. T, what is, uh, what's your Breakfast in America story? Nice, Nub. You know, I, I thought that maybe back back a few years back you had seen these guys as part of a as part of a package show or something like that. But yeah, probably a a rare instance here of a band we never saw. I mean, listen, I don't have a tremendous wonder story because I just figured out that these guys and Loverboy are two separate bands like a year ago. You know. Wow. So, I mean, it's uh No, I I I definitely I definitely, yeah, you're like, I first just, heard working for the weekend, uh, you know, yeah, 20 years yeah, ago. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there's know, a I, chance that a lover boy dated a super tramp, but probably did happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Probably. They all did. Lover boy. Weren't they Canadian? Canadian band? I don't know. They were huge when I was in high school too. Maybe, should we do a lover boy episode next? Maybe. Yeah. There you go. Um, no, it, you know, I mean, I had, I have the two records in, in the, in my uh, digital collection, but I, I honestly, this was a great opportunity to learn more about them. Uh, and, and honestly, watching the Paris clips is a great way to gain some appreciation for this band. You know, when you see them, the, the sort of two headed monster that they are with the two lead front men composers, they both sing, they both sing together the instrumentation with the keyboard work and some of the musicians that they play with are really good. I mean, it's, you kind of get a whole new, okay, this wasn't just a commercial machine. This was actually a band of really good musicians and really good songwriters. And, you know, listen, they set out to create something fun as they put it in commercial. And they did. Here's something interesting since I don't have a great wonder story, ultimate classic rock rated in order the 10 best super tramp songs so like what would you guys guess is number one on this list well i'd go with take a long way home what would you guys you say take a long way home sam what would you say that's no? where i'm at logical song i would guess 
Okay, so Take the Long Way Home is eighth. Logical Song is sixth. This guy put Give a Little Bit as number one. Okay. It's a good song. Which is good. All right. What would you say is number two that hasn't been mentioned yet? I'd say Goodbye Stranger. Musically, it's just so adventurous. and Goodbye Stranger is number four. Okay. I'd say Lord Is It Mine. That is not even on the list, but I'm going to listen to it. That's a good song. All right. Can I take one flyer guess? Oh, that's on the record. Lord Is It Mine. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead, Numb. Crime of the Century? Not on the list. That's a crime. (laughs) Of the century. Legit. So number two is Bloody Well Right. Oh, that's a good tune. Okay. You want to try number three? No, I don't. I'm going to guess Dreamer. Dreamer's number 10. Number three is School. Yeah, okay. Okay, and then we've gotten through most of the rest of Breakfast in America, the title track of this is number nine. So anyway, uh, I think there's four from this record that are noted as their, and this was their whole catalog noted as their one of their 10 best songs so i'll keep i'll keep learning about these guys and and now that i've figured out that they're not uh an 80s um you know <laughs> hair metal operation or whatever love boy was red so, leather pant wearing yeah exactly so all right boys listen if uh unless we had anything else to add why don't we uh dig into this thing a little bit and drop the needle let's go Well, I loved dropping the needle on this because, you know, you know that it's a um, a, a fairly commercial effort uh, and you know that this was, you know, a song, uh, an album that produced, I think it was five singles and not just like cuts. These were like four, like super magnificent classic hits. So you kind of aren't sure what you're going to get out of some of the tracks that aren't as you know, famous or didn't have a lot of radio airplane. You certainly, at least I was very curious as to how a record like this would open and how a record like this would close. And I gotta say, I was like really pleasantly surprised with the way this opens with track one, the opening track of breakfast in America, which is gone Hollywood. So I, you know, I didn't know if, if it was going to sort of kick off with something like super commercial sounding or poppy sounding or whatever, kind of like you get arguably in some of the areas of this record, but it starts out with a song that really is kind of a little bit of an adventure. I mean, it's five plus minutes. It feels like it's a 10 minute song because it takes you in all these different directions, but it's actually just over five minutes. It has a very unusual song structure. There's no verse, chorus, verse, there's this middle section. There's a lot of long instrumentation on this record. And this track has this middle section with the piano and the saxophone. Love the incorporation of the keyboards and the sax. There's a clarinet on one song. It's just, these guys were really into instrumentation, but I love that it kicks off with something that clearly was a little bit more thoughtful, a longer piece in anything, but sort of poppy and commercial sounding. I think Gone Hollywood is one of the better tracks on the record, actually. I think it's a good track, but I hate the way this album starts. Really? Okay. Because I've listened to this album 
tens of thousands of times, I bet. And every single time I'm grabbing for my volume knob on this first song because that piano fades in and I'm like, is it on? Is it on? Is it playing? Is it? And then I just get blasted. But once I get past that piece every single time, it, it's an amazing song. I um, think this song is more super tramp than most of the songs on the album. If you listen to their other albums and you hear kind of the adventurous side of the band, this is much more like them than Take the Long Way Home. Yeah. And for that reason, I love it too. And I think that if you're a, see, this is a progressive rock thing, but I'm always intrigued by the, the idea that if you're a 17 year old in 1979 and you hear the logical song on the radio and you buy this and then you put it on, you listen to this opening track, you're like, what the hell? I dig that. I think it was bold for them to put uh, Gone Hollywood as the opening track. And they're kind of saying, here we are. You like all these songs that are on the radio, but this is actually who we are. I think that's a bold statement to open the record. I agree. It's a, it's almost kind of theatrical, you know, and uh, and the guitar tone is great. You know, they they get some they get some high gain going here, you know, on on some of these tracks where, you know, the the guitar playing has some really good bite. Now, this is a Rick Davies song, so we'll kind of note, you know, which one's which. Um, cause you know, it's kind of one, certainly one or the other, but, uh, this is where both guys sing, but this was a, this was a Rick song. So now we move on to track two, which was a Roger song. Uh, and this, uh, clearly is one that's, uh, become a classic over time. This is the logical song. You know, there's some songs, especially from this time period of, 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 you know, radio domination and rock radio and, you know, AOR type domination where you kind of go back to it now and you listen to it and you're like, God, why was that song a hit? This is one of those where you listen to it now, at least for me. And it's like, oh God, what a great, <laughs> of course that was a hit. Like it's, it's really creative. Um, there's some really great progressions, some great rhythms. Again, the usage of the Wurlitzer, you know, not the not the Ty Webb uh, Fender Rhodes, but the Wurlitzer is, is very uh, prevalent as it is throughout the record. I mean, this is one of those where I think it's held up extremely well. You listen to it now and you're like, of course, that was a hit and should have been. Yeah, I've got a bad perspective on whether or not it held up because, you know, as I said, this music takes me back to my youth. And to me, it's just... It's just amazing. And, you know, you guys have said many times that you're not lyrics guys. Uh, how do you not listen to these songs and listen to the lyrics and just <laughs> be blown away? I mean, I, I love this song. I think it's you have fantastic. No, you have no idea how many times we've been asked that. And I don't have a great answer. I mean, I just, to me, the voice is an instrument, you know, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's an instrument that provides melody and like he could be singing about farm animals and it probably wouldn't make any difference to me but i i do think that you bring up a good point where a lot of the credit that these guys got was a lot of their work lyrically was pretty conceptual and was directional in a lot of cases i know that this one i believe was about kind of education and in uh, sort of some of the viewpoints on education as a system and some of those things. So oftentimes, and I think this is quite beautiful when it comes to music is you get catchy poppy, but actually what's being said is very important and 
and more meaningful with some depth, which is always, and Phil Collins did that brilliantly. Like just great combination of those type of things. Nubs, that's for you, buddy. I know, I know how to wake nubs up. You just say Phil. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a fair point. I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, ga- that have a lot of additional respect for super tramp based on the lyrical content. I just, I just wish I gave a shit about it. I just don't want the lyrics to be a distraction. That's the biggest thing for me. I do. It is important to me that they fit the tone. I mean, farm animals, you know, might be a little distracting, but I understand what he's saying. Depends, depends on which ones, right? I mean, I mean, if it's cows, then it's probably yeah, okay. cows. Wow. You know, that's cool. I love the logical sign. I think this is the first super tramp song they sort of fall in love with. I think there's a lot of, of, of emotion in the, um, the chorus. That's really not a chorus. You know, if you think about that, there are times when, I mean, I think, being sung very very well it's a strange chorus though it never really lifts it almost drops into a chorus which is kind of cool you know who the, the the hook of the song is whatever that little noise is at the very end what is that Woo! or whatever yeah you know? yeah yeah but uh i i think logical song's great i think it holds up completely and yeah i agree with you t I, you listen to it, it's like yeah that was a hit you know definitely so that was a roger song now let's go back to rick uh track three this may have been the point when people kind of realized, okay, this might be a special album. And that is uh, track three, Goodbye Stranger. So I got totally, I guess this is my best crack at a wonder story. I got totally into this song um, in college. And actually, it's a, a, a pretty big P.T. Anderson fan. And there's a film he did called Magnolia that had this song in it during one of those. He's kind of famous for these scenes where a song would carry the scene and they play this song in full during that movie. It was one of my favorite movies. And, and, and I wish it would have. I would have taken a step further and kind of said, okay, I want to learn more about this band, but I was in college and was you know, an idiot, whatever. But I did really get into this song heavily. This is probably one of those that um, I don't think I had even heard before that. And it was like, oh, wow. And instead of saying these guys must be good, I want to check them out. I did that, you know, just like 20 years later, you know, but, uh, but I, I think it's a, it's a brilliant song. Yeah. I love this one as well. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a hit for a reason. And uh, every time I hear it, you know, this story is probably getting old, but it takes me back and it's, yeah. it's just good stuff. Not yeah, a big it, takes, fan. it takes me back 20 years. I, I can't even imagine, you know, going back 40. 30. Yeah. I mean, that's even better. 45. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Goodbye Stranger, guys. I have to say my least favorite song on the album, probably my least favorite of all the Super Tramp kind of mainstream hits. Is it the voice? Is it the, yeah. is it irritating? I think it might be its, its role in the movie Magnolia, which is a film that I love. This one felt way too like poppy, way too like we're trying to make it, you know, and, but credit them, they tried to make it and they did. So yeah, I can hear that. Absolutely. The falsetto is a little much. The falsetto is a little much, but, um, I, I think that's where, I mean, my favorite part of the song is when you've got the falsetto and then he comes in underneath with sweet devotion. And and so you got happening almost sounds like it's in the round. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, to me, it's a song that builds. The thing I like about it is that it, 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 it keeps, and you know, that, that pre-chorus where the guitar rings out 
I mean, those are, you know, those are the the parts of the song and, and the solo at the end. I mean, the drumming, you know, some of the work he's doing on the bell nub during that, you know, guitar solo and stuff is really, really strong. The falsetto piece is probably my least favorite part of the song, but I think the rest of the song's really, really interesting and creative. Well, I, you know, debatable as to whether or not they uh, thought that Goodbye Stranger was being written as a hit, but let's shift back to Roger. And I'm pretty sure it's uh, fair to say that when they were writing this one, that they probably knew that they (laughs) had a hit on their hands. And that is with the title track, Breakfast in America. I think there's a tuba in there, if you can pick it out. There's definitely some low brass going. Yeah, definitely. And and again, the instrumentation is part of the coolness of this band. The live clip of this is very cool. You know, it's kind of like, it's got this nice groove to it. So, I, you know, I don't know if I'd put it up there as one of my favorites on the record, but shoot, I mean, this is one of those songs, once they finished it, they probably were like, yeah, this, yep, this is going to make us some money. Another hit without a chorus. Yeah. You know, there is no chorus. Unless you count the little break that they do as the chorus, which maybe you do. But it's like a weird thing with this band and this album is like like, no catchy choruses yet. Tons of hits. Maybe that's why it was so successful, because it wasn't just another something kicked out of this is the formula. Do it. It's a great point. I mean, one of the cool things about these guys is the verse chorus verse structure isn't very prevalent, you know? I mean, some of these middle sections almost turn into jams. You know, some of these pre-chorus sections remain pre-choruses and to your point, Nub, never really turn over into something that's an intentional hook. I mean, I think they were pretty clever with not following a template and, and being able to obviously achieve a lot of commercial attention without sort of following a formula and and to your point sam that that may be part of the appeal you know part of what people thought was cool this the song also features a clarinet which i mean come on besides ian anderson playing the flute i mean does it get more rock and roll than pulling out a freaking clarinet i mean doesn't it though when when you put in a traditional band instrument into a rock and roll song it just makes them cool all of a sudden it's the best it's the best yeah 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 this is a short song very sub sub, almost like two and a half minutes and they seem to be good at that right it was kind of like if there's a reason to draw it out which we'll get to in the last track sure but if there's no reason to get to the point and get out you know and and that's obviously part of the i think the uh, more commercial approach to this all right we get to our first real i would say deeper album cut here I was afraid at first this was going to be a, a cover of an awful Beatles song, but then I realized it's not. It's a it's a Rick Davies song, uh, track five, and the last song on side one for you LP enthusiasts out there. Oh, darling.
you start to at this point certainly get a, a feel for a Rick song versus a Roger song. You know, there are some differences, even though there were a lot of artistic similarities. You know, you almost get to the point where you can pick out that this is a, a Rick track. Nice and simple from my perspective. What do you guys think? I think that, uh, first of all, this is the Born to Rub You First, right? This must be the song that <laughs> reminded you of the Rhodes piano to you. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, I think that at this point, you kind of think, are these guys just able to write nonstop hooks after nonstop hooks? Because it wasn't a hit, but it almost sounds like it could have been because it's so catchy. It's got this unique kind of open rhythm. And this is one where it does have a catchy chorus for sure. But I'm sure a lot of people by the end of side one were thinking, this is the greatest band I've heard in my life, which might explain why Breakfast in America was so incredibly successful, right? I, I think it could have been a hit, you know, um, you know, probably if it was another band around the same time, probably could have been. I mean, at some point, you you know, you kind of run out of room, you know, but I think it's a great way to wrap up side one. And then, uh, goodness, you flip the thing over and you hear probably what is one of their certainly one of their most famous songs. And just one more reason why uh, our older brother became the favorite a nub. And that's uh, track six or the first song on side two, which is Take the Long Way Home. Is it wrong if I kind of don't like this song? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. I can see why someone doesn't like this song a lot. I, I love know. it, but I could totally see why somebody doesn't like it. Just like it just to me sounds like a like Saturday morning cartoon song. Like it's not um it's a little too whimsical, isn't it? Like it's, it's, it's a lot whimsical. Yeah. It's a little like overly bouncy. I honestly I think Vocal and piano during this would be great. Hey, T, not to nerd out too much, but listen to the version that Roger does with Ringo Starr and the All-Star oh, band. Really? It's much better than this version. It's more raw. Ringo kind of swings it, too. It sounds really good on the drums. Uh, and, uh, and then he, he rips off a logical song with Ringo's band that's, again, probably better than the original. Dude, too. how great of a drummer was Ringo? He, he's The guy's so good. Yeah. He's so pioneer. pioneer. Like, we've talked about it. The drummers where you can tell it's them without hearing any. I mean, he could play Ringo could play the drums in a room by himself and I could listen to it for 30 seconds to know that it's him. He had a voice. Now, he had a voice. is that because he's amazing? No. Is that because he's the most skilled? You know, It's kind of like a Lars Ulrich type thing, but at least, you know, it's him. So interesting. I'll have to listen to that. You guys know the uh, the Ringo Tom Petty story? So Johnny Depp was opening a jazz club or something, and he wanted Petty to play. And this is when Petty's original drummer was leaving uh -huh. and had quit or got fired or something. And Petty calls him up and he says, well, I got Ringo. You don't need to come play. And then they cut to Johnny Depp in, in the documentary. He's like, oh, Ringo could have played that night? I didn't know that. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Nubs used to say this for a long time and I thought maybe it was just Nubs fighting for the underdog, you know, kind of thing. But now I'm like, God, was he right? Like that guy just has 
a style and a distinctive. And you listen to some of those Beatles songs, those fills and things that he was doing. I mean, he's this whole thing of like Paul was a better drummer than Ring. I mean, nonsense, nonsense. Got he had a voice, man. If you're a drummer and you have a voice, you're doing something right. You don't have yeah. to be Neil Peart to be a drummer with a voice. Yeah, Good. the Beatles, uh, they they didn't suck. They were okay. Yeah, they were okay. They they might make it. <laughs> Track seven already mentioned once by Fowler, so we know we know what he's going to think of this one. He wanted to put it in the top ten. This is a uh, Roger song. Lord, is it mine? All right, this uh, this might not be a popular opinion with our guest, but I kind of feel like maybe Super Tramp should have just stayed away from the ballads. I mean, you know, I'm <laughs> when it comes to pretty much any music that was popular in this time, I'm a homer, and I just I would listen to it top to bottom. And you know, Nubs has said it on a number of episodes. Maestro, you picked a great spot where that drum comes in and, and it starts to crescendo. I just, I love that part of this song. Yeah. Well, but I, it, but I get it. By the I way, mean, you just scored another point by by using the term Maestro. Good. He spot, just crossed so. 667 points. That's right. <laughs> He's doing very well. <laughs> I think you're onto some with the ballad thing. I, I don't think it's them at their best. I think that mid-tempo and slower songs are probably fine but i don't know i i do uh i do agree with that maestro chose a good clip though so yeah yeah calling it Sam. i just i you know i think that certain voices certain i mean their approach is fascinating but that not everybody can do the ballad thing right like some like remember some oh, of those for hair, sure like some of those hair metal bands like would do it because they record company told them they needed to have one and it's just like no like 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 faster like faster pussycat would try a ballad it's like no guys um but you know so, so i think it was kind of like the thing to do but i just don't know if it fits this band particularly well so well let me help you out with it it does okay well that, that's <laughs> that settles that track 8 just another nervous wreck And you can certainly hear the the this being a Rick song, right? I think by the time you're at this point, you're like, oh yeah, that's a Rick song. Do we like the kind of, uh, you know, I guess for by Super Tramp standards, more aggressive yet still it's hooky thing? Super here? Tramp goes metal on this yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. What do we What do we think of this boy? I like it. I think it's. I, I like the more aggressive singing. I think that's effective. Big groove, good drum sound. But you know, it's the keys and the pianos and the yeah. Rhodes. I mean, that that's what drives all these songs, isn't it? You know, you're yeah. like playing a lot of air guitar to Super Trump. You sure as hell are playing a lot of air piano. Right? Yeah, right. The keys are very distinctive. I mean, it's 
to me, it's as distinctive as when you hear a, a Doors song. Yeah. I mean, the keys and Doors, it just, you you know who it is as soon as those keys or that organ comes in. Yep. They really yep. should have um, copyrighted the effect that they put on the piano. It's a little bit of chorus uh, effect. And, and I don't think a lot of people were doing that before this band, or at least not on the commercial level. So I really do like the very synthetic, but very memorable keyboard sounds that they come up with some of their treatments. Oh, you mean this sound? <laughs> you mean that one? Well, I mean, Caddyshack was 80 and this album was 79. So definitely <laughs> Ty Webb was ripping off. Supertramp. Hey guys, was that a Wurlitzer piano? Just, yeah. just wondering. We should start <laughs> dropping that as a set. Like, like whenever we have sort of nothing more to say, or there's a little bit of a lull in the, in the conversation, just, just kind of, <laughs> that's just, a great idea. <laughs> wow. You know, instead of opening the episodes with Herb, we should just be like, and an album. You know? Anyway, enough, enough fun. Let's get to track nine. It's another ballad, isn't it? Let's see what we think of this one. Casual conversations. Actually, not a ballad. Kind of like a. It's an interesting beat. It's almost like a like a Broadway type beat. Dunes, dun dunes, dun. Right. Casual conversation. Second to last track. What do we think here, fellas? It's my least favorite of the ten. Uh, that's for sure. But for me, if I know the music, then I typically like it because i've listened to enough to know it and that's definitely the case with this one but it would definitely be number 10 of the 10 yeah it just kind of moves along i mean i i do like that it's not trying to do too much right it's probably the most minimalist you get here yep not too long it's it's just a tick under three minutes so again you know not embellishing i i think i think it's okay you know i think it's uh it's a good way to set up what what is more of an epic approach uh, and, and certainly a seven and a half minute song to take you home here as the closer. Which I'm kind of interested in both of you guys' thoughts on this one. This is the closer track 10 to Breakfast in America uh, with a rather long piano solo at the end that takes you home here on Child of Vision. little 70s porn to it doesn't it fellas it's uh it's a jam and i'd be lying if i didn't say that this is the first time i realized it was that long so as many times as i've listened to it it's never been one that i skipped through and i never felt like it went on too long Uh, it's just it's a jam 
You gotta love the corny sax, you know? It's, like, it, it reminds me of a 70s porno as things are really picking up now. I agree. Right? It could definitely you know? be that soundtrack. So, yeah, I, I think it closes in cool fashion. I do like the jam. I like the, the you know, the last like three minutes of that thing are sort of this uh, piano sax extravaganza, you know, which I think is pretty neat. Um, and even the front half of the song that leads up to it is pretty cool. So. You know, you guys have talked a lot about how albums are put together. And before I started listening to you, two jokers on this pod, um, I never even really thought about it, how albums were put together. It's like, there's just a bunch of songs and where do they fit? Um, but yeah, I like this one. It, it takes you on a ride. Yeah. You can kind of tell, um, especially when you, when you're brain damaged, like we are, and you put a lot of time into all this stuff, you, you, you can kind of tell who, who was thoughtful about the sequencing of an album and who wasn't. I actually think these guys were for an album that is very hit based and singles based. And they knew that damn well before it got released. I still think they wanted to open it in a certain way and close it in a certain way. And I respect that. I respect that. This could have, this could have felt like a singles compilation, but I actually do think it feels like a, like an album, like an experience. And part of it is, is certainly the way it starts and the way it finishes. So, well, gents, what do you say we uh, get to the final cut here and uh, let's decide whether this classic record that Mr. Fowler brought to the table is going on the turntable in the collection, collecting dust or want for sale bin nubs. Why don't you start buddy? Be very hypocritical as I already showed you guys my two Japanese yeah, you have 18 copies. <laughs> copies of it. Yeah. So, but I'm going to go within the collection. I think that the album tracks do leave a little bit to be desired. Love uh, Gone Hollywood, of course, is the opener, but it is an album packed with hits. It's a good snapshot of the late 1970s. I think it sets up what was to come in the 1980s. You know, think about an artist like Duran Duran, just teasing that idea of commercial versus artistic and innovative versus something that people would, you know, actually just like hearing on the radio. Super Tramp did that uh, before any of those bands in the 80s did and sort of set the stage I think from a business perspective on what music could sound like that both pleases the artist and the everyday consumer and breakfast in America certainly did that as shown by the billions of copies that it sold over time. So I have it in the collection. Let's go to Sam. What do you got? Well, I, I think you make really good points, um, but I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. And it's just, it's from a time in my life where music was just a huge part and I can listen to this thing from top to bottom the same way today that I could 40 years ago. And uh, so for me, it's if I had a turntable, uh, it would be on the turntable without a doubt. I mean, it was your choice. I would yeah, hope you'd put right? it on the turntable. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to get one shot to be with the cool kids at the lunch table. I'm going to bring a dud. <laughs> yeah. 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 You'd, you'd throw us a bit of a curveball if you if you showed up and then and then put it in the for sale bin. You know? Yeah. Right. It'd be like uh, two hours that we'll never have back. You know? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think it's a great call. I'm very, very appreciative that you brought this not only to the table for the episode, but that you got it on my radar because it's a band that I clearly didn't know enough about and have learned a ton about the the two guys and the approach and the instrumentation and the uniqueness. This is a very unique band, right? There was not, especially in the late 70s, you know, you had a lot of crap going on. You had rock you had sort of very radio oriented um 
you know, rock music, you had disco, you had a lot of ah. stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. You had a lot of stuff going on. The, some of the early new wave was starting, punk was going. I mean, it was there was a lot of stuff going on. And these guys carved out a pretty unique sound, right? And it's been cool to certainly not just learn more about the uh, the album, but learn more about the band. This is going to be a dust collector for me, and that's uh, nothing to take away from it, but there's too many good songs and good moments on it for it to be in the for sale bin. I almost think with Supertramp, you could get away with Crime of the Century and then maybe scatter some tracks or a best of on top of that, you know, dare I say it. So it's not one of those that, you know, I'd be like completely heartbroken if it wasn't um, being played a lot. I do think it should be in, in the collection, but for me, it probably wouldn't get a ton of spins. Uh, so I'm going to go collecting dust, but I will say that uh, a wonderful choice, Sam, for you to bring to the table, buddy. Why don't we uh, close things out? And I'm only going to spin Dolores once. Because, you know, I, I already got, you know, called out for <laughs> for being know. a button pusher. So let's go in your head. In your head, in your head. No, you go first. What's in your head, buddy? A bunch of stuff ringing in my head in, in the morning. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Bait and switch. Bait and switch. Let's go with three songs. First is going to be from our good friend, Stephen Wilson, who we just talked about in the 2022 year in review episode, the front man of porcupine tree. And that is one of his solo songs, the beautiful and wonderful closing track, the Raven that refused to sing off of an album called the Raven that refused to sing. Go figure. One of my favorite closing tracks of all time. Second would be a little song by Madonna called borderline. It's a good song. Probably my favorite Madonna. Sure song. Is. Great. Song. It's so good. Like such a good groove. It's kind of Madonna, like actually singing well, which she didn't always do. And uh, absolutely love it. And then lastly, we're going to go with a little 80s gem. We're going to just kind of stick in Sam's wheelhouse here. A little Thompson Twins with Hold Me Now. Oh, man. That's that's yeah. an amazing tune. Yeah. Oh, now that one, those lyrics, now those lyrics I'm listening to during that <laughs> one. But, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's what's in my head. T, why don't we go with you next? What's in your head? I've got, uh, it's a great call on Thompson Twins. In fact, often, I've often thought about, you know, was it called Into the Fold, that record, that great record they put out in the mid 80s. I've often thought about whether or not that's episode worthy. In, into the Gap. I think it's pretty into close to episode worthy. Yeah. There you go. What did I say? Into the Void. Into the Fold. Fold. Oh. Into the Void's a Nine Inch Nails song. Sure. Speaking, speaking of Nine Inch Nails, I'm watching, um, for like the fifth time, the uh, Ken Burns uh, Vietnam documentary. So like the six part uh, documentary and the soundtrack to that is a Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross piece, which those guys are doing some super cool soundtrack work for various TV and films and obviously doing Ken Burns Vietnam. It's just such a good fit. And um and it's a really important, I think, part of this documentary, which is amazing. So I'm going to shout out with that soundtrack because I've, in addition to watching the actual documentary, I've also just listened to the soundtrack because it's so cool. So a lot of that Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross stuff is awesome. Uh, hey, there's an old song by the Doobies. 
You know, I think this was post Michael McDonald, but call the doctor. Music is the doctor. You know, you guys know that one? Oh, how do you not know the new doobies if you're my age? Yeah. Post Michael McDonald or pre Michael? Yeah, McDonald? this was post Michael McDonald, one of those wow. like 80s kind of like pop songs. Late 80s deep cuts. Don't you know yeah. the doctor? Call the doctor. Here, this one. Oh. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. You know that one? That sounds awful. Dude, it's <laughs> what? Are you, are you, are you out of your mind? Terrible. Besides, speaking of lyrics, great lyrics. The 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 lyrics the lyrics to that are that all about how music music heals you like much like a doctor. So it's all it's like a love letter to music. Music is the doctor. It's great. Great. That's metaphor. awesome. Great. Nubs is, Nubs is gonna call me in like three. This is typical. He's gonna call me in like three days and be like, "All right, that song, the doctor, is pretty awesome." <laughs> Right. Come on now. Right. That does happen from time to time. All the yeah, time. yeah. 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 Um, I'm getting back. We, we did the Mars Volta back many, many episodes ago. And I got to say that, uh, you know how every, so every couple of years, I just have to get through uh Cassandra Germini, the 32 minute song, like once a day, just to, just to clear the palate while I'm on one of those kicks. So while it's 32 minutes long, I will throw Cassandra Germini in there. And then, I think I've noted this one before, but it came on yesterday while I was doing Legos with Clay because he's now back into Legos again. I thought that phase was over, but now we're back. Just, just wonderful. Oh, I got bad uh, news about that phase, brother. Geez. I'm in it right now. Are you? Yeah. What are you? What are you building? Adult Legos. I like it. Cars. So, so we're doing a tech, a Technic. Um, so I have a Jeep Gladiator. That's what I drive these days. I, I know. And we're Sweet. doing. Yeah, and we're 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 actually building a yellow Jeep Gladiator, which it's very cool. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's on my shelf. I got it. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got about thirty pages to go, and it's actually, I mean, it's really fun to do together. I'm kind of glad that he's back into it, but you know, I yeah, I started down the Lego rabbit hole because my kid Lucas is into the Titanic. Ah, okay. and Lego came out with this Titanic set, and when it's done, it's oh, five wow. five foot long. Oh my nine, god! Nine thousand. Leonardo DiCaprio fan or how no, you- no, no, no. Come on now. Let's not go there. He's just, uh, he's, he's into history. He's definitely nice. Definitely not, uh, not, not my stuff, but yeah, he digs it. That's cool. Well, we were building Legos yesterday and the Martika song toy soldiers from the eighties was covered wonderfully by Silverson pickups. Who's a favorite band of mine, even though I don't like their, you notice their album didn't even make my top five on album of the year. So I, I was surprised, but then I figured they went festival rock. Probably. You know what? They, they did. Yeah. And we they all do. And by the way, for those who haven't tuned into episode 81, we also cover festival rock quite a bit. Um, it's funny. We were about to wrap that episode. And then like, we spend like 45 extra minutes on Taylor Swift, Harry Styles and festival rock. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. things that you hate yeah so anyway this cover of toy soldiers by silver sun pickups was great and that is what is in my head sam fowler thank you buddy I, this was a long time in the works we really appreciate you listening to the podcast and your support of the podcast it, and and for calling us out for taking too long of a break we needed that but i'm glad we were able to make it happen buddy and thank you again for having me on sam and drew talk training which or, uh, or Drew and Sam talk training. I mean, it, it it's all Drew and Sam, whatever, yeah, whatever, yeah. But uh, but thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, it was a blast. 
and uh, a man of few words, Sam Fowler. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we will, <laughs> and we will, uh, now, do you have anything you want to say? Just in general? I mean, you want to, I think all that comes to mind is, I was born to love you. I was born to kiss your face. I was born to rub you, but you were born to rub me first. Let's go to the patio. You know what? I got to say, I hate to call you out, but you said, kiss your face. Lick your face. To lick, lick your face. Yeah, it's very spontaneous. I was doing well, that's, enough. that's fine. And he doesn't care about lyrics. Neither one of you do. That's, yeah, exactly. See, he doesn't even get the lick your face part. Well done. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, hey, uh, enjoyed it. And, uh, Boy, we will be back soon, hopefully, or unless we take another two-month break for no reason. But We'll be back soon, T, to talk, talk about more music. Oh, boy. Nice. Oh, boy. You just done did it, didn't you? So, yeah, that's what we'll be back for. Here on Two Twins and an album. Y'all take care now. Two Twins and an album. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.